0: Chapter 9, part 2, of Nana by Zola, translated by Burton Rasco. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. 9, part 2. On seeing the count enter, she closed the window. The day was cold, and it was not necessary that curious madame broche should overhear them. They looked at one another gravely. Then, as he stood very stiff and speechless, she laughed and said, "Well, so there you are, you big booby." His emotion was so strong that he seemed frozen. He called her madame and said how happy he was to see her again. So, to bring matters to the point that she desired, she became more familiar still. Now, don't stand on your dignity. As you wish to see me, it was not for us to look at each other like a couple of china dogs, I suppose. We've both been wrong. As for me, I forgive you. And it was agreed that they would not refer to the subject again. He nodded his approval. He was becoming calmer, but as yet could find nothing to say out of the tumultuous flow of words which rushed to his lips. Surprised at his coldness, she played her trump card. "'Well, now, you're reasonable,' she resumed with a slight smile. "'As we've made our peace, let's shake hands and remain good friends for the future.' "'How good friends?' murmured he, becoming suddenly anxious. "'Yes, perhaps it's stupid of me, but I was desirous of your esteem.' At present, we've explained matters, and if we ever meet each other anywhere, we at least won't look like a couple of fools. He seemed on the point of interrupting her. Let me finish what I have to say. No man, do you hear? No man has ever had anything to reproach me with. Well, it vexed me to begin with you. We all have our honor, my pet. But that's not it, he exclaimed violently. Sit down and listen to me and, as though he feared she might go away, he pushed her on to the only chair. He walked about, his agitation increasing. The little dressing-room, close and full of sunshine, had a moist, warm atmosphere, and not a sound from outside reached it, except the canary's piercing roulades, which in the pauses seemed like the distant trills of a flute. "'Listen,' said he, standing before her. "'I have come to take you back.' "'Yes, I want to begin again.' You know it well, so why do you talk to me like this? Tell me. You consent? She held down her head and was scratching with her nail the red-colored rush seat, which appeared to be bleeding beneath her, and, seeing him so anxious, she did not hurry herself. At length she raised her face, now become serious, while to her eyes she had managed to give an expression of sadness. Oh, impossible little man! Never again will I live with you. Why? "'stuttered he as a twinge of intense suffering "'passed over his countenance. "'Why? "'Well, because. "'It's impossible, that's all. "'I don't wish it.' "'He looked at her ardently for a few seconds longer. "'Then bending his legs, he knelt on the floor. "'She looked annoyed and contented herself by adding, "'Oh, don't be a child.' "'But he was already behaving as one.' Fallen at her feet he had seized her round the waist which he squeezed tightly, with his face between her knees which he was pressing against his breast. When he felt her thus, when he felt again the velvet-like texture of her limbs beneath the thin material of her dress, his frame shook convulsively, and shivering with fever and distracted, he pressed harder against her, as though he wished to become a part of her. The old chair creaked, Sighs of desire were stifled beneath the low ceiling and the atmosphere rendered foul by stale perfumes. "'Well, and what next?' said Nana, letting him do as he pleased. "'All this will not help you when I tell you it's not possible. "'Dear me, how young you are!' He became quieter, but he remained on the ground. He did not let go of her, and he said in a voice broken by sobs, "'At least listen to what I came to offer you.' "'I have already seen a mansion near the Parc Monceau. "'I would realize all your desires. "'To have you all my own, I would give my fortune. "'Yes, that would be the only condition. "'All my own, you understand me? "'And if you consent to be mine alone, "'oh, I should wish you to be the most admired "'and also the richest, carriages, diamonds, dresses.' "'Nana proudly shook her head at each offer.' Then, as he continued, as he talked of settling money on her, not knowing what more to lay at her feet, she seemed to lose patience. Come, have you finished mauling me about? I'm good-natured, I let you do it for a minute because you seem so upset. But there now, that's enough, isn't it? Let me get up. You're tiring me. She shook him off. When she rose, she said, no, 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 I won't, Then he regained his feet painfully, and having no strength left, he dropped onto the chair, leaning against the back, his face buried in his hands. Nana, in her turn, walked about. For a moment she looked at the stained wallpaper, the greasy dressing-table, all over that dirty hole bathed in the pale sunlight. Then, stopping in front of the count, she spoke without the slightest emotion. It's funny how rich people suppose they can have everything for their money. Well, but if I won't... I don't care a pin for your presence. You might give me all Paris, and I would say no and always no. It isn't very clean in here, as you see. Well, I should think it lovely, if it pleased me to live here with you, whereas one pines away in your palaces if one's heart isn't there. Ah, money! My poor fellow! I have some somewhere. But let me tell you, I dance on money. More, I spit upon it. And she assumed a look of disgust. Then she went in for sentiment and added in a melancholy tone of voice, "'I know of something that is worth more than money. "'Ah, if anyone gave me what I desire.' He slowly raised his head, his eyes sparkled with hope. "'Oh, you can't give it to me,' she resumed. "'It's not in your power to do so, and that is why I speak of it to you. "'Well, this is only between ourselves. "'I wish for the part of the grand lady in their new peace.' What grand lady? murmured he in surprise. They're Duchess Elena, of course. If they think I'm going to play Géraldine, they're very much mistaken. A part of no consequence at all. One scene, and not much in that. Besides, it's not only that. I've had enough of gay women. Always gay women. One would think I've nothing in me but gay women. It's become annoying in the long run, for I can see clear enough they fancy I'm ill-bred. Ah, well, my friend, they make a slight mistake. When I choose to be the grand lady, I do it as well as anyone. Just look at this. And she retreated to the window, then advanced, carrying her head high, measuring her steps with the circumspect air of a fat old hen hesitating to dirty her feet. He watched her with his eyes still full of tears, stupefied by this sudden bit of comedy traversing his anguish. She walked about for a while to show all her by-play, smiling delicately, blinking her eyelids, swaying her skirts. Then stopping in front of him, she said, "'Well, I think that's good enough, isn't it?' "'Oh, quite,' he stammered, with a choking sensation in his throat and his glance still dim. "'I told you I could do the grand lady. I tried it at home, and there's not one of them that has my little air of a duchess who doesn't care a hang for the men. Did you notice, when I passed in front of you, how I quizzed you?' That air only comes with the blood. And then I want to play the part of a respectable woman. It has been my dream. It is making me quite unhappy. I must have the part. Do you hear? I must have it. She spoke in a harsh tone of voice. She had become serious now, and was greatly affected suffering from her stupid desire. Mufa, not yet recovered from the blow of her refusals, waited without understanding. "'There was a short silence which was not disturbed by the least sound. "'Do you know,' she resumed without any more beating about the bush, "'you must get that part given to me.' "'He was astounded. "'Then with a gesture of despair he said, "'But it is not possible. "'You said yourself that I had no power to do so.' "'She interrupted him with a shrug of her shoulders. "'You've only to go downstairs and say to Bordenave that you want the part.' "'Pray, don't be so simple. "'Bordonev is in want of money. "'Well, you can lend him some, "'as you've such a lot to throw out of the window.' "'And as he still argued against it, she grew angry. "'Very well, I understand. "'You're afraid Rose won't like it. "'I didn't speak to you of her "'when you were sobbing on the ground. "'I should have had too much to say about her. "'Yes, when a man swears to a woman "'that he will love her forever, "'he shouldn't go the next day "'and make up to the first one he meets.' Oh, the wound is here. I shan't forget it. Besides, my friend, it's not so pleasant after all to take the mignons' leavings. Before you went and made a fool of yourself down at my knees, you would have done better to have broken off entirely with that dirty set. He kept protesting and ended at last by being able to say a few words. But I don't care a button for Rose. I will cast her off at once. Nana appeared to be satisfied on that point. She resumed. Then what is it that bothers you? Bordenave's the master. You'll tell me that besides Bordenave there's Faucherie. She spoke slower now. She was arriving at the delicate part of the matter. Mufa, his eyes fixed on the ground, said nothing. He had remained in a voluntary ignorance respecting Faucherie's assiduities for the countess, gradually quieting his suspicions, and hoping that he had been mistaken on that frightful night passed by him in the doorway of the Rue Théboux. But he entertained a certain repugnance and a secret anger against the man. "'Well, what? Faucherie isn't the devil,' repeated Nana, feeling her way, wishing to find out how things were between the husband and the lover. "'It's easy enough to get over, Faucherie,' HE IS AT THE BOTTOM A VERY DECENT FELLOW, I ASSURE YOU. WELL, IT'S UNDERSTOOD. YOU'LL TELL HIM IT'S FOR ME. THE MERE IDEA OF SUCH AN UNDERTAKING WAS REVOLTING TO THE COUNT. NO, NO, NEVER, CRIED HE. SHE WAITED. THIS PHRASE CAME TO HER LIPS. FOUCHERIE CAN REFUSE YOU NOTHING, BUT SHE FELT THAT IT WOULD BE RATHER TOO STRONG AN ARGUMENT TO USE. ONLY SHE SMILED AND HER SMILE, WHICH WAS A PECULIAR ONE, SEEMED TO SPEAK THE WORDS. Mifa, glancing up at her face, lowered his gaze again and looked pale and embarrassed. "'Ah, you're not at all obliging,' murmured she at length. "'I cannot,' said he in a voice full of agony. "'Everything you wish, but not that, my love. Oh, I pray you.' So she did not waste any more time in arguing. With her little hand she bent back his head. Then, stooping forward, she pressed her lips to his in one long embrace— A thrill passed through his frame. He started beneath her, his eyes were closed, his reason gone, and she raised him from his seat. "'Go,' said she simply. He walked, he moved towards the door, but as he was about to leave the room, she took him once more in her arms, and looking up at him meekly and coaxingly, she rubbed her cat-like chin against his waistcoat. "'Where is the mansion?' "'asked she in a very low voice "'in the confused and laughing way of a child "'returning to some good things "'it would not at first look at. "'In the Avenue de Villiers. "'And are there any carriages?' "'Yes.' "'And lace and diamonds?' "'Yes.' "'Oh, how kind you are, my ducky. "'You know, just now, it was because I was jealous. "'And this time, I swear to you, "'shan't be like the first, "'for now you know what a woman requires.' You give me everything, don't you? Then I shan't have to want anything to do with anyone else. Look, they're only for you now. That, and that, and that. When she had pushed him outside after stimulating him with a shower of kisses on his face and hands, she stood a moment to take breath. Good heavens! What a stench there was in the dressing-room of that untidy Matilde. It was warm in there just like a room in the south of France with the winter sun shining upon it. But, really, it smelt too much of stale lavender water and of other things not very clean. Nana opened the window. She looked out as before and examined the glass roof of the passage to pass the time away. Mufas staggered downstairs with a buzzing in his ears. What was he to say? How could he enter into this matter which was none of his business?' As he reached the stage he heard sounds of quarrelling. They were finishing the second act. Prullier was in a fury because Fauchery had wished to strike out one of his speeches. "'Strike them all out, then,' cried he. "'I would rather you did that.' "'What, I haven't two hundred lines, and now some of those are to be taken away?' "'No, I've had enough of it. "'I throw up my part.' He pulled out of his pocket a crumpled little memorandum and turned it over in his trembling hands, as though about to throw it on to Cossard's knees. His injured vanity convulsed his pale face, his lips being tightly compressed and his eyes on fire, without his being able to conceal that internal revolution. He, Prullière, the idol of the public, to perform a part of two hundred lines. Why not make me bring in letters on a salver? resumed he bitterly. ''Come, Prulière, do be pleasant,'' said Baudenave, who humoured him on account of his influence on the people in the boxes. ''Don't begin your complaints again. We will find you some good effects. Eh, Faucherie? You'll introduce some effects for him. In the third act we could even lengthen one of the scenes.'' ''Then,'' declared the actor, ''I must have the word at the end. You certainly owe me that.'' Fauchery's silence appeared to give consent and Prillière put his part back in his pocket, still excited and discontented all the same. Bosque and Fontan, during the discussion, had assumed looks of supreme indifference. Everyone for himself. It did not concern them. They took no interest in it. And all the actors surrounded Faucherie, questioning him and fishing for compliments, whilst Mignon listened to Prillière's final complaints without losing sight of Count Mufa, whose return he had been watching for. The Count remained in shadow at the back of the stage, hesitating to advance into the midst of the quarrel, but Boldenave, catching sight of him, hastened to where he stood. "'Aren't they a set of grumblers?' murmured he. "'You've no idea, Count, what trouble I have with those people. They're all more vain one than the other, and so disobliging and spiteful. Always slandering other people, and only too delighted if I make myself ill in keeping them to their business. But excuse me.' I'm losing my temper. He stopped, and silence ensued between them. Mipha was seeking a way of leading up to the subject that occupied his mind. But, failing in his endeavor, he ended by abruptly saying so as to get it over the sooner. Nana wants to play the part of the Duchess. Boldenhev started violently as he exclaimed, "Pooh, That's absurd! Then, glancing at the count, he saw him looking so pale, so agitated, that he regained his composure at once. THE DEUCE, HE ADDED SIMPLY. AND THERE WAS AGAIN SILENCE BETWEEN THEM. AS FOR HIMSELF, HE DID NOT CARE A FIG. IT WOULD PERHAPS BE FUNNY TO HAVE THAT FAT NANA TO PLAY THE PART OF THE duchess. BESIDES, HE WOULD THUS HAVE A STRONG HOLD ON MUFA. SO HIS DECISION WAS SOON FORMED. HE TURNED ROUND AND CALLED, Faucherie THE COUNT MADE A SLIGHT GESTURE TO STOP HIM. Faucherie DID NOT HEAR. Fontan had got him up against the proscenium wall and was giving him his ideas of the part of Tardivaux. The actor thought he should make up as a Marseillais, with the southern accent which he kept imitating. He made whole speeches that way. Was that the proper rendering of the part? He seemed only to be giving his own ideas, and which he himself had doubts about. But Faucherie, keeping very cool in the matter and offering numerous objections, Fontan became annoyed at once. Very well. "'As the correct reading of the part had entirely escaped him, "'it would be far better for everyone that he should not play it. Faucherie, Bordenave called again. "'Then the young man hurried away, "'glad of the opportunity of escaping from the actor, "'who felt highly indignant at being left in so abrupt a manner. "'Don't let us remain here,' resumed Baudenave. "'Come, gentlemen.' "'To be out of the way of indiscreet ears, "'he took them to the property room behind the stage.' Mignon watched them go off, greatly surprised. A few steps descended to the room, which was square, with a couple of windows looking on to the courtyard. The ceiling was low, and the dirty window-panes only admitted that dim light usually met with in cellars. In pigeonholes placed about the room was a collection of all sorts of things, the turnout of a second-hand dealer of the Rue de Lappe selling off, an odd medley of plates, of cups and gilded pasteboard, of old red umbrellas, of Italian pitchers of clocks of every shape and size, of trays and inkstands, of firearms and squirts, the whole heaped anyhow, chipped, broken, unrecognizable, and layered with a layer of dust an inch thick, and an unbearable stench of old iron and rags and of damp pasteboard arose from the piles formed of the remains of the pieces produced during a period of fifty years. "'Come in here,' said Bordeneuve. "'We shall at least be by ourselves.' The Count, very much embarrassed, moved on a few steps to leave the manager to arrange matters by himself. Foucherie could not make it all out. "'What's up?' he asked. "'Well, it's just this,' said Bordonave at length. "'An idea has occurred to us. Now don't jump, it's very serious. What do you think of Nana playing the part of the Duchess?' At first the author was quite bewildered, then he burst out. "'Oh, no, you can't mean it. It must be a joke.' "'Everyone would laugh at it. "'Well, it's something to get people to laugh. "'Think it over, dear boy. "'The Count is very much smitten with the idea.' mufat to conceal his emotion, "'had taken an object that he did not seem to recognize "'from amidst the dust on a shelf. "'It was an egg-cup, "'the foot of which had been mended with plaster. "'He kept it in his hand without knowing he did so "'and advanced towards the others to murmur, "'Yes, yes, it would be capital.' Faucherie turned round upon him with an impatient gesture. The Count had nothing to do with his piece, and he exclaimed in a decided tone of voice, "'Never. Nana is the gay woman as much as you like, but as the grand lady, not if I know it.' "'You do not judge her fairly, I assure you,' resumed Mufa, becoming bolder. "'Only just now she was showing me how well she could play the grand lady.' "'Where?' inquired Faucherie, whose astonishment increased. ''Upstairs, in one of the dressing-rooms. Well, she did it splendidly. Oh, such distinction! She can give such glances, too, you know, in passing. This way!'' And with the egg-cup in his hand he tried to imitate Nana, forgetting himself in the force of his desire to convince the two other men. Foucherie watched him in amazement. He understood, and his anger vanished. The Count, who felt his glance upon him, in which there was derision and pity combined, blushed slightly and stopped. "'Well, it may be so,' murmured the author obligingly. "'She would perhaps do it very well, only the part is already given. We cannot take it away from Rose.' "'Oh, if that's all,' said Baudenave, "'I will undertake to manage that.' "'but then seeing them both against him, "'understanding that Boudinav had some hidden motive "'for acting as he did, "'the young man, not wishing to give way, "'declined again, but with increased energy "'and in a manner not to admit of any further discussion. "'No, I say, and no, and always no. "'Even if the part was not filled up, "'I would never give it to her. "'There, is that clear enough for you? "'And now let me be. "'I don't want to damn my own peace.' "'After this there was an embarrassed silence.' Bourdeneuve, thinking himself in the way, withdrew some distance off. The count stood with his head bowed down. He raised it with an effort, and said, in a broken voice, My dear fellow, if I ask you to do it as a special favor to myself, I cannot, I cannot, repeated Faucherie, struggling. Mifa's voice became harsher, I beg of you, I wish it, and he looked him straight in the eyes. Beneath that black look in which he read a menace, the young man suddenly gave way, stammering confusedly. "'Well, after all, do as you wish. I don't care.' "'Ah, oh, you are unfair. You will see. You will see.' The embarrassment then became greater. Fauchery had leant up against some shelves and was nervously stamping on the floor with his foot. Mufat appeared to be examining the egg-cup very attentively, as he continued to turn it round between his fingers. "It's an egg-cup!" Bourdenave obligingly came and said. "Why, yes, it's an egg-cup!" repeated the count. "Excuse me, you're all covered with dust," continued the manager, as he replaced the article on a shelf. "You see, it would be impossible to be dusting here every day-one would always be at it-the consequence is, it's not very clean. "'What a mixture, isn't it?' "'Well, believe me if you like, it represents a lot of money. Look here. And here.' He led me find the greenish light that came from the courtyard in front of all the shelves naming the different articles, wishing to interest him in his rag merchant's inventory, as he called it. Then, when they had worked their way around to where Fauchery stood, he said, in an easy tone of voice, "'Listen, as we are now agreed, we'll settle this matter at once.' "'Ah, there is Mignon.' For a little while past, Mignon had been hanging about in the passage. At the first words Bordenave uttered, suggesting an alteration in their agreement, he flew into a passion. It was disgraceful. They wanted to ruin his wife's prospects. He would go to law about it. Bordenave, however, remained very calm and reasoned with him. He did not think the part worthy of Rose.' He preferred to reserve her for an operetta which would come on after the little duchess. But as the husband still complained, he abruptly offered to annul the agreement, and spoke of the proposals which the management of the Folies Dramatique Theatre had made the singer. Then Mignon, for a moment worsted, affected a great disdain for money without, however, denying the existence of the offers in question. They had engaged his wife to play the part of the duchess Hélène, and she would play it, even though it cost him his fortune." It was a question of dignity, of honor. Once engaged on this ground, the discussion became interminable. The manager always reverted to this argument, as the folie dramatique people offered Rose 300 francs a night, 100 performances guaranteed, whilst she only received 150 from him, his letting her go meant a profit of 15,000 francs for her. The husband on his side did not depart from his standpoint, that of art. What would be said if the part was taken away from his wife, that she was not equal to it and had been replaced? That would do her a great injury and would lower her artistic standard considerably. No, no, never! Glory before wealth! Then all of a sudden he hinted at a compromise. According to the agreement, if Rose threw up her engagement, she forfeited ten thousand francs. Well, if they gave her that sum, she would go to the Folie dramatic theatre. Baudenave could scarcely believe his ears, whilst Mignon, who had not taken his eyes off the count, quietly waited. "'Then that settles everything,' murmured Mufa with relief. "'We are all agreed.' "'Ah, no, by Jove, it would be too idiotic!' exclaimed Baudenave, carried away by his business instincts. Ten thousand francs to get rid of Rose! You must think me a fool!' But the count kept signalling to him to agree to the proposal. He, however, still hesitated. At length, grumbling, regretting the ten thousand francs, though they were not to come out of his pocket, he curtly resumed. After all, I am willing. I shall at least be rid of you. For a quarter of an hour past, Fontan had been listening in the courtyard. Very curious to know what was going on, he had gone and posted himself there. When he had heard all there was to learn, he returned indoors and gave himself the treat of informing Rose. Ah, well, they were having a fine talk about her. She was done for. Rose rushed to the property room. They all remained silent. She looked at the four men. Muffat bowed his head. Faucherie answered her inquiring gaze with a despairing shrug of his shoulders. As for Mignon, he was discussing the terms of the agreement with Bordenave. "'What's up?' asked she in a sharp tone of voice. "'Nothing,' said her husband. "'It's only Bordenave who's going to give ten thousand francs for the return of your part.' She was very pale and trembling as she stood there with clenched fists. For a moment she looked him straight in the eyes in a revolt of her whole being. She, who ordinarily quietly submitted to him in all business matters, the making of agreements with her managers and her lovers. She only found these few words to say which struck him full in the face like the lash of a whip. Ah, really, you are too much a coward. And then she left them. Mignon, greatly alarmed, hastened after her. What was the matter? Was she mad? He explained to her in a whisper that 10,000 francs from one side and 15,000 francs from the other made 25,000 francs. A magnificent stroke of business. Anyhow, it was certain that Mifa was going to leave her. Therefore, it was quite evident they ought to congratulate themselves on having succeeded in plucking that last feather from his wing. But Rose was so enraged she would not answer. Then Mignon left her with disdain to her woman's vexation. He said to Bordonnave, who was returning to the stage with Faucherie and Mufat, We will sign the agreement tomorrow morning. Have the money ready. Nana, informed by La Bordette of what had taken place, arrived triumphant. She affected the style of a respectable woman with most distinguished ways, just to astonish everyone and to prove to those idiots that, when she liked, not one of them could come up to her. But she almost forgot herself. Rose, as soon as she saw her, flew at her stammering in a choking voice. Ah, I shall see you again. We must have it out, do you hear? Taken off her guard by this sudden attack, Nana was on the point of putting her fists on her hips and abusing the other roundly. She restrained herself, however, and exaggerating the fluty tone of her voice, making the gesture of a marchioness on the point of treading on a piece of orange peel, she said, Eh, hey, what? "'You must be crazy, my dear,' and she continued her airs whilst Rose went off followed by Mignon who scarcely knew her. Clarisse, to her great delight, had just had the part of Géraldine given to her by Bordenave. Faucherie moodily stamped about without being able to make up his mind to leave the theatre. His piece would be damned. He was wondering how he could save it. But Nanan went and seized hold of him by the wrist and asked him if he thought her so very dreadful. She would not damn his piece, and she made him laugh and let him understand that she might be of assistance to him with Mufa. If her memory failed her, she would make use of the prompter. They would pack the house. Besides, he was mistaken in her. He would see how she would carry all before her. Then it was settled that the author should slightly alter the part of the duchess so as to give more to Prulière. The latter was delighted. In the general joy that Nana seemed naturally to bring with her, Fontaine alone remained indifferent. Standing up, full in the yellow glare of the gas-jets, he showed himself off, displaying his sharp goat-like profile and affecting an easy posture. Nana coolly went up to him and, holding out her hand, said, "'Are you quite well?' "'Yes, pretty well. And you?' "'I'm very well, thanks.' That was all. It seemed as though they had left each other only the night before at the door of the theatre. The actors during all this time had been waiting— But Bordonnave at length said they would not rehearse the third act that day. Punctual for a wonder, old Busk went off grumbling. They were always keeping them without any necessity. They made them waste entire afternoons. Everyone went away. Below, arrived on the pavement, they blinked their eyes, blinded by the bright daylight with the bewilderment of people who have spent three hours quarrelling in the depths of a cellar with a constant strain upon their nerves. The Count, feeling dizzy and overwrought, got into a cab with Nana, whilst La Bordette went off consoling Faucherie. A month later, the first performance of the Little Duchess was a great disaster for Nana. She was atrociously bad in it. She made pretensions to high-class comedy which filled the audience with merriment. No one hissed, they were all too much amused. Seated in one of the stage boxes, Rose Mignon greeted each appearance of her rival with a shrill burst of laughter, "'thus setting off the whole house. "'It was a first revenge. "'And when, at night-time, "'Nana found herself alone with the Count "'who was very much cut up, "'she said to him furiously, "'What a dead set they made against me! "'It's all jealousy. "'Ah, if they knew how little I care for it! "'I can do without them all now. "'I'll bet a hundred louis "'that I'll make all those who laugh to lick the ground at my feet. "'Yes, I'll teach your Paris "'what it is to be a grand lady.' End of chapter 9